Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the pressing issue of clean energy, in particular, the storage of clean energy and hydro energy storage. And to do that, we're kindly joined by the CEO of Re-Energize, Stephen Crocher. Stephen, thanks very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to be here, Jonathan. So, Stephen, one of the reasons that we're speaking to you today is because you're currently on Crowdcube. You've set out in your second crowdfunding campaign on Crowdcube the initial target of 300,000 Uh, which has been met by very strong investor demand uh, to the extent that total funds uh, secured from investors now is in excess of 1 million. So great interest there coming from investors. And that's something we're going to discuss a little bit later on in the podcast. But before we do that, Stephen, would you kindly be able to please give us an introduction to Re-Energize for those that aren't familiar with yourselves, as well as have a bit of background on the team? Sure. Yeah. Hello. So, so my name is Stephen Crocher. I'm the CEO of Reenergize, um, and I co-founded Reenergize with three other people. Um, so that is Richard Cochrane, who's a professor of renewable energy at Exeter University, Dr. Tamas Batani, who heads our Montreal office where we do our research and development into mechanical electrical systems, and then our chief financial officer, Graham Cook, who's got a long track record in establishing uh, clean tech companies. Um, And we have two experienced uh, board members who help give direction to the business. Um, so, so re-energize. Um, what do we do? So, so we're we're developing a form of energy storage um, that we call high density hydro. So, this is based on traditional pumped hydropower energy, which is the oldest and most mature form of energy storage there is. And pumped hydropower also represents over ninety five percent of the world's energy storage today. Batteries are around two and a half percent of the energy storage. So high density hydro is based on traditional pumped hydro. Traditional pumped hydro is where you have a a lake at the bottom of a mountain and another lake at the top of a mountain behind a big concrete dam. And when energy is abundant or uh, cheap, um, water is pumped up the mountain um, and sits in the top reservoir. And then as energy prices ride or there's a scarcity of energy or the end of a football match and people want lots of cups of tea, Um, then uh, the water is released down the same pipe work and electricity is regenerated through a turbine. So so this type of technology has been around for 100 years. It's very mature. It's uh, very low cost for long duration energy storage. High density hydro works in exactly the same way, but rather than using water, what we've done is we've introduced the fluid that is two and a half times the density of water. So it has the density of water, but it has uh, it flows um, something like oat milk, I guess, is probably a good example like that, or or um, uh, orange juice or something like that. So 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 it flows. Um, uh, very, very like a, a, a liquid or, or, or a drink that you would have of, uh, on your with your breakfast, and um, we use that instead of water. And the reason why we use a high density fluid is for two reasons. One, um, you can reduce the size of your project by 
two and a half times. Because it's two and a half times denser, for the same power and energy, the project can be two and a half times smaller as compared to water. And when you look at the construction costs of a traditional pumped hydro project, around 65% of the total cost is in civil engineering construction costs. So if you can reduce that volume of construction by 60%, there's a huge potential cost saving. The alternative thing that you can do is to reduce the vertical elevation between the top and the bottom storage tanks. Um, and the reason why that is such a big advantage is because instead of using mountains in remote areas, you can use small hills which are close to where either demand is or where renewable energy generation is. And so if you look out your window or when you're on your train or down the motorway, you can see that there are hills everywhere which are 100 meters tall 200 meters tall and this is the sort of size of hills that we can use rather than mountains in remote areas and so that the ability to use a small hill close to where the energy storage is needed just gives us a, an order of magnitude more sites possibly several orders of magnitudes more sites when compared with traditional pumped hydro and when you're looking to develop projects then the availability of sites is a critical component of that that you want the site where you need it you don't want to build a site in a remote place you want it either close to where you're generating electricity from wind or solar power or close to where you're consuming it so adjacent to towns or cities I hope fantastic that... sorry thank you so Stephen Recently, I've seen a claim here um, from yourselves that there's a trillion dollar market out there uh, that Reenergize is is setting out to serve. Would you be able to give us a little bit more detail into you know, what that market looks like and what justifies that trillion dollar market size? Yeah, so 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 one thing I'd like to sort of just point out: it's not me and Reenergize who are saying it's a trillion dollar market. It's energy commentators around the world. So um, companies like Bloomberg New Energy Finance or IRENA or the Long Duration Energy Storage Council, which is where, where, where that figure comes from particularly. Um, so they talk about a $2 trillion market over the next uh, 20 to 30 years. Um, but, but also other commentators, McKinsey, Jacobs, Academia, who research this area, they're all saying that the size of the market is absolutely huge. And the reason why the market is so big is because the world is transitioning at the moment from a uh, fossil fuel based energy system to ones that is going to be largely powered by renewable energy. And um, so governments across the world are doing this simultaneously. And in order to decarbonize, first of all, you've got to build the projects to create the, the, the low carbon energy. So this is typically wind, solar, hydropower. Um, it might be um, biomass. It, you know, there, there, there's lots of different generation um, technologies out there. But 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 the, the problem with the renewable technologies or the bulk of the renewable technologies is that they're intermittent. And so if you have an intermittent source of generation and you also have a variable demand from cu customers and industry, you've got to find a way of balancing the two out. So when there's excess renewable energy, you've got to store that excess until there's 
um, excess demand on the other side. And to do that, you need different forms of energy storage. Um, and, and the type of energy storage we're, we're looking to develop is what we call mid mid-duration energy storage which where we believe the bulk of the energy storage is going to be needed so this isn't your sort of quick instantaneous energy storage that you get from batteries which is used for um, ancillary services for balancing um but, but balancing the needs of the grids for frequency and voltage and uh, and those sorts of things and it's also not your interseasonal storage which is provided by probably going to be provided something like hydrogen in the future um, green hydrogen. Um, it, it's much more this mid-duration, which is to balance either the daily cycles of solar generation or the um, twice weekly cycles of the, the wind generation. So a, a wind weather system is typically lasts three days or thereabouts, where you go from low amounts of wind to too much wind to and then back to, to not quite enough. And so you're on a grid like the UK, you're trying to, where, where you've got lots of different types of um, energy inputted into the system, you're trying to um, balance that out. And the bulk of the energy storage that you're going to need to balance the solar and the wind power with the consumer demand is going to be in that sort of eight to 16 hours of energy storage, which is what our market uh, is targeting. You, you've mentioned there, Stephen, and it's quite an interesting statistic there. You, you gave down on the on, on the breakdown and the difference of you know the, the current energy storage mix in terms of you know what's being stored within hydro and what's currently being stored within batteries and you've obviously outlined some of the issues there with with batteries but how do we get to to a point now where we facilitate re-energize uh, solutions and, and technologies in a in a market in a world where the focus is very much on on, on battery storage yeah, so 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 so, so I, I just maybe provide a little bit more context um, around the sort of the, the scale of the energy storage that the world currently has, um, and the, the scale of the challenge that, that that is in front of us, and and then talk about um, uh, a, a batteries a, a little bit more. So today in the world there is around 180 gigawatts of energy storage, of which, as I said before, about 95 percent of that that pumped hydro. Um, batteries, despite their recent growth, still make up a tiny proportion. It's around two, two and a half percent of the global energy storage. So, so it's still a very small fraction compared to the mature technology of pumped hydro. And I mean, the, the industry commentators that I mentioned before, like the Long Duration Energy Storage Council, they give different amounts of energy storage that are required. But there's a consensus around 2,000 gigawatts of energy storage needed. So this is over 10 times the, the current global energy storage capacity today. And these, these commentators are saying that that 2,000 gigawatts compared to the 180 gigawatts today is needed in the next 18 to 25 years. So what, what, what the commentators are saying is the world needs to build out every 20 months, the same capacity as energy storage that has been built by the world in the last 100 years. You know, it's a phenomenal rate of change, which is why the, the claim around the trillion dollar market, you know, has to be, has to hold up. So, so then mo moving on to, um, you know, the, the battery technology. So, so batteries are, you know, a fantastic piece of technology. I'm, I'm not knocking them at all, um, but they're really good for shorter durations of energy storage in the perhaps up to two or three hours. 
and, and the reason why they're not so good for longer durations is because if you want a an additional megawatt hour of battery storage, you have to double the size of the project. And then if so, so if you want to go from one megawatt hour to two megawatt hours, it's double the size, and then four megawatt hours is double the size again. So so the projects just get larger and larger. You increase the amount of power you can deliver, but but at the same rate as you deliver the amount of energy that that, that you can deliver. And so, our, so, so that's great if you're trying to deliver instantaneous power. So if you're trying to do ancillary surfaces, frequency response, you know, the, those type of things where, where the market has been very hot to keep grids um, stable um, uh, over the last five years or so, they're, they're fantastic at that and they will continue to have that place in the market. But as the market transitions to more and more penetration of renewable power, what you find you need is... Um, solutions which provide longer duration energy storage but longer duration storage at lower cost um, than batteries can provide and this is where you know pumped hydro would provide that solution um, but they take too long to build a pumped hydro project from concept through to completion is probably in the order of 20 odd years um, and if you're saying that the climate de crisis demands you to build out you know massive scales of both renewable energy and energy storage if you've got to wait 20 years for a pumped hydro project then it's too slow so you need a solutions that can meet those same low costs but deliver the the, the same value um, that traditional pumped hydro has and this is where re-energize really comes into its own so what we're looking to do is to provide smaller distributed projects co-located with renewables um, uh, spread across the grid and we achieve the scale by having multiple projects being done in parallel so quite a good example so so in the uk commentators talk around 40 gigawatts of energy storage you know some say 50 some say a bit less but um, let's say around 40 gigawatts of energy storage and that needs to be provided in a you know 20 odd year time scale and and, and what we think we can achieve that if we have a project with an average size of say 25 megawatts um, with eight hours of storage that sort of project could be built in um, a year and a half two year, years time so if you have multiple developers building that sort of scale of project in tandem you could probably build in the order of 300 projects over that 20 year time scale and 300 projects at 30 megawatts is something like 25 percent of the the, the the energy storage that that the industry commenters say commentators say that the uk needs so, so that, that sort of scale of development is achievable um with, with a solution like ours and the advantage that our solution has over most of the other technologies that, that, that are vying for position is that our supply chain already exists. So we have a supply that, that there are companies across the UK, across Europe, across North America that make pumps and pipes and turbines and, and all the type of equipment that we need. The equipment that we need is different. It needs subtle changes, sometimes not quite so subtle to manage the high density fluid and the increased forces that that provides. But the supply chain exists, that same supply chain can manufacture the products we need to our designs and deliver them to projects, you know, in three, four, five years time that, that our ability to scale is almost unlike any other solution. And even actually unlike batteries, where you have this huge demand growing from electric vehicles and the electric vehicle demand is very quickly going to absorb the entire um, global 
battery production, that the, 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 the supply of the raw materials to make the batteries is not going to keep up with the demand of electric vehicles. And so when you look at it a, 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 as, as a solution for stationary storage, even if it wasn't more expensive, then the, there, there are supply constraints within even batteries, which means that it, it, on its own, it can't be a solution for, for stationary energy storage or grid energy storage. You need a, another, you, you need other solutions and you need solutions which are lower costs that batteries can deliver for longer duration storage. Fantastic. So there's a particularly interesting point that, that you made there. And I think this is one of the challenges that we're facing at the moment uh, when we're looking at producing cleaner energy and indeed storing it is not the you know, limitations in terms of the number of options available. Of course, you know, there's lots of different options that we'll probably touch on a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, but it's the time to getting those options onto the market and, and being able to facilitate the, the storage of uh, of power there. You mentioned there it could be sort of taking as uh, you know as low as 1.5 years uh, for, for your solution there. So that, that actually is probably for me uh, one of the things that, that makes you different to existing um, hydro energy storage. Um, but you know when you're looking, Stephen, at your you know your technology and, and your solutions, I'm sure investors listening to this would be um, you know quite interested to know about who else is out there um, developing you know a, a similar solution to yourself so i mean who would you sort of say is out there and and who would your competitors be um for for re-energize yeah um so so in terms of competition um there are lots of companies have highlighted that this space is you know really interesting it's going to be a huge market um so the competition um that we're most similar to is um something like a flow battery a vandium flow battery is uh one of the competitions i i, I think we will definitely win out on cost um but but clearly you could install one of those projects in a place where there's no hills so um you know and, and there are flat parts of the world so we there are geographical locations that that we can't address, but where, where there's a good um, uh, hill nearby, that, then I'm sure we'd be a low cost solution. There are also companies that are looking at um, types of gravitational energy storage. Um, I'm not going to mention their names, but but they're, they're, there's a number of them. They've they've been in the press. Um, our view is some are um, much better than others and um, much more viable than others. But but there, there are people who are looking at gravitational energy storage where you, um, uh, you, you you store your energy in some elevated mass you know which is effectively what we're doing we're doing it with a liquid others are doing it with a solid um, it's all you know from a technical point of view that there are no fundamental technical barriers to any of it it's really about um, uh, cost but 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 also um, uh, citing challenges and and we're, we're not claiming that we can address the entire market because well one is the market is too big um, and there but actually the market needs lots of different solutions it needs the short-term storage that lithium-ion batteries can provide it need, needs the mid-duration storage which is um, where we're targeting it, it it needs storage which is then the interseasonal thing which isn't our market and so there's space there's space for everyone um, just um, we're often asked the question, is there anyone else doing a high-density pumped hydro storage? The answer is 
not that we're aware of. We regularly look, we have patent attorneys who do searches on patents um, for us on a regular basis. And as far as we can see, no one else is doing this. Um, but we are asked by competitors in the saying, God, I wish I'd thought of that. So some of the competitors who are looking at gravitational storage, they, you know, they do say to us over a pub, over a pint in a pub, um, that, um, that, 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 you know, they wish they had thought of this idea. So we do think that we're, we're on for something. Fantastic. Sounds like there's exciting times ahead. So I just want to take a bit of a step back now, Stephen, and sort of look at the you know the, the bigger picture um, for for green energy and obviously green energy storage. And you know it's particularly relevant at this point in time we're doing the podcast because you've just had from the UK government uh, an announcement of its decarbonisation and energy resilience strategy just in the. Uh, in the last few days, you know, for somebody like yourself that is very much at the front lines of, uh, you know, green energy storage and you know green energy uh, innovation, I mean, what what are your views on what the the UK government have said over the last week? Yeah, so the question question we asked ourselves when we listened to it is, have they gone far enough? You know, clearly what they've announced is great. You know, the the, the growth of offshore wind, you know, it's desperately needed. We've got to generate the the, the energy. So, so what they announced was good, but does it go far enough? The short answer is no, it certainly doesn't. Um, they've gone for the headline grabbing solution, so more nuclear power, green hydrogen, offshore wind, um, but. We feel they've entirely missed the low-cost solutions um, like onshore wind, which is entirely left out. Um, so if you're trying to deliver low-cost energy to consumers to, to to miss out what the is probably the lowest-cost form of generation seems a bit of a mistake. Um, but also the, the, the solutions which are both harder to describe and um, are harder to sell um, and harder to do, but actually make a bigger impact like housing refurbishment, double glazing, insulations actually cut demand. Um, you know, there was very, very little on that, on energy savings, there, 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 was, there, there was very little. Um, but, but our main concern about the announcement was that all the solutions or the big solutions they put forward, they all take decades. You know, a new nuclear project, if it's not on the drawing board at the moment, isn't operational till you know, 2035 at the earliest. Um, so... Um, these solutions are not really, and the same with green hydrogen. I, I mean, electrolyzing of hydrogen is great uh, from um, renewable energy and water. You know, creating the green hydrogen is great, but the supply chain doesn't exist. No one's built a factory to make hydrogen electrolyzers at scale. You know, and the factory will take best part of ten years from its conception to actually churning out hydrolyzers at scale. So, so, so all of these solutions are. A long way off from delivering the immediate need that, that the decarbonisation agenda ha- has. Everything that's been announced takes decades. Um, so, so these announcements, when they come on stream, they'll provide a great photo opportunity. Um, that they look they look good in the press announcement, but actually, they don't solve the problem in the timescales that the climate crisis demands that we solve solve, solve the. The, the, the problem and this is where and I said it just a moment ago but this is where our solution really comes into its own is it's something that really can scale very quickly from what we are quite an early stage company still um, but going from an early stage company to something that delivering projects at scale is something that we can 
probably do faster than anyone else because our supply chain exists. And that is that is a critical difference. So not only can we deliver the low cost, but we've got the supply chain. And that's that that's really where we stand out from the, the, the rest of the competition. Um, and really solutions need to scale very fast in the next 20 years you need to be consistently progressively delivering results that lower carbon emissions and so instead of the solutions coming in in 20 years time because that means for 20 years you're still belching out the same level of carbon dioxide you're still belching out gigatons of co2 for 20 or 30 years so those long-term solutions are not a good solution for the climate emergency Yes, I mean, I was, I was been watching the uh, some of the debates and the comments over the, in the Commons over the last uh, few days, and was left scratching my head as to, given that we have targets of around twenty fifty, it seems as though the the UK government is opting for those ones that they're really going to push those targets. And you know, as you said, there twenty thirty five, the earliest. I'm sure we won't see any of the nuclear plants um, around that time, and probably take a lot uh, a lot longer than that. But Stephen. The, you know, sort of looking at what the UK government have done over the last week, it seems in stark contrast to what's happening in in Europe. Um, you know, in particular, that you know the German government, amongst other European governments, have actually been, you know, in quite vocal in saying they're going to be bringing forward their decarbonisation plans by ten years. I mean, how are they going to go about doing this? You've got the UK government on one hand saying, look, we're going to look at nuclear, this is going to take decades, as you, as you pointed out, whereas the, you know, the German government in particular are saying, um, look, we're actually going to be bringing forward our, our plans by 10 years. I mean, how is this going to be achieved? Yeah, I, I mean, the short answer is I, I don't really know. Um, that, 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 you know, for a company, a country the size of Germany um, with, with its um, energy-intensive industries and um and the fact that their renewable generation is in principally in the north and their um, uh, demand is more in the south of the country and they already have transmission constraints um, that, that um, ha- how they sort of deliver that, it, it, you know, it's clearly going to need a, a um, some sort of strategic vision and, th- and then a really detailed plan of how to do it. And um, energy storage solutions are absolutely going to be going to be part of that um and the energy storage solutions that can scale to deliver results in that 13 to 15 year times time frame are are, are absolutely vital and, and um you know if we were asked tomorrow to to do the whole of germany uh, in in that sort of time scale we'll we'd be going well i think it's too much for us you know it's just too bigger challenge but we could certainly do a not- noticeable percentage of it um, um, but I, th- I think that of any country in Europe maybe the, with the exception of the Dutch um, that, 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 that if they if someone like the Germans put a plan in place um, that, that they will you know find a pathway to do this and, and focus their industry on doing it I mean they they built a, a solar industry over uh, 10 years um, couple of decades ago now but 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 they did do it um and and i wouldn't be surprised if they could do the same again so um one one of the key areas of our commercial focus over the next um sort of months uh certainly for the rest of this year is to um build inroads into um 
uh, influence I influencers, I guess, is the right term in, in the German market, but also other Central European markets, um, because they all have similar problems um, that, 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 and they're all going to want to reduce their reliance, particularly on Russian gas. And, and, and we have a solution for that. And, uh, it, you know, and, and I would expect us to be part of their, their, their solution um, over that time period. So, Stephen, I really want to start drilling down now into into re-energize. So, from my understanding, you're currently submitting your first planning permissions in the UK. So, would you be able to speak to that and you know how that process looks like, and maybe give a little bit more in terms of wider context of where re-energize are with your solutions, and you know when people could maybe expect the the, the first. Uh, plants to be operational. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the the planning consent that we, so so we've done the pre-planning application and had all the feedback, and we're just in the process of pulling together our documentations to submit the application in the next two or three weeks. So, so we're on the cusp of doing it, and and the feedback we got in the pre-planning application was, uh, you know, re- remarkably straightforward. Um, you know, the, the, there wasn't anything particularly that we were. Uh, that that came as a curveball that we weren't expecting. So we've had, you know, questions around protection of flora and fauna or mitigation of where we're actually building the project. Um, we've had um, uh, questions around how do we ensure um, habitats are preserved and that there's a net habitat gain, uh, which is all, you know, as far as we're concerned, good um, good questions to have and things that we would want to do anyway. So, so one of the things that we see about a re-energized project is because it's truly an inf- infrastructure asset, we expect these assets to be operating for 60 odd years that actually once you build a project, thinking about what habitat you want to put in there because it's going to be there for at least 60 years and, and quite possibly longer, that, that actually that habitat gain question is, is really important to us and the sort of thing that we can deliver and we can have these sort of micro habitat corridors that that, that, that we can create as a result of building a project and that's something that we're keen to do. Um, other questions that came through from the um, uh, the pre-application was, uh, you know, ha- how do we mitigate any spills? Should that, in the unlikely event that happens, how do we mitigate and manage it? Um, and that's obviously something that we've thought about quite a lot on, on how, how we manage that. So, so again, it wasn't a question that is any surprise and something that, that we've discussed a great deal about how we would go about designing a project and um, what safety systems we put in where and how we'd make sure that there are two orders of safety in in critical places or or sometimes three um to make sure that that um that the projects are safe and and you know unexpected eventualities are properly managed and their impact is minimal um so so those are the sort of questions we expect and those are the ones we got um we got questions around um uh um uh, what's it called visual impact so you know can you see it um so, so the big problem that that onshore wind turbines have um and because we plan to bury the project and 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 screen screen things visual impact is you know we don't expect it to be a a problem for that for for this planning um, application fantastic thank you so 
Stephen, now let's now move on to the Crowd Cube campaign. So as we said, said at the beginning, initial target of 300,000. You now exceeded 1 million in funds raised, um, obviously being met by strong investor demand. But I'm sure people that have listened to, to what we've just uh, outlined there for, for re-energize and obviously the wider market will be keen to know, you know, first of all, why are you using CrowdCube? Why are you raising funds? And what are those funds going to be spent on? Yeah, so, so, so the, I'll come to the second bit um, first, which is what are the funds to be used for? So, so um, we're, we're still a relatively young company. We will need to increase our um, engineering capabilities. Um, we, we need to accelerate our uh, our engineering um, and our time to market. And we, to date, we've been a very much a technology-focused business, but we recognise that the commercial side of the business is something that, that um, need we need to start addressing. Um, and we need to uh, have... The, the, the more detailed conversations with our potential customers, we need to uh, make sure that we capture the voice of the customer in greater detail than we have already. We need to build our key commercial relationships over the next um, 18 months um, so that those relationships commercially are in place as the um, uh, technology matures and we have the proof of concept. So on the previous question, you asked me about um, the timescales a little bit. And so... Um, the, the project that we're currently putting into for planning, um, you know, planning permission takes a while and then you've got to uh, uh, order the components and, and all of those sorts of things. So these sorts of projects do take a while, but we're expecting to have that operational by the towards the end of next year, so the end of 2023, um, and uh, then do the uh, all the commissioning and the testing. So, so that will be done during early 2024, which is really um, the, the kickoff point for... Um, you know, potentially signing early commercial contracts with uh, with, with developers to, to develop this type of project. Perfect, thank you. So, just to to, to finish off now, Stephen, you know, you obviously outlined there you're, you're doing planning permission here in the UK, but you know, sort of drilling down into maybe sort of some milestones that people could could keep an eye on. You know, what would you be targeting as your as your first markets for Reenergize? Yeah, so so, so um, we we we've, we think early um, potential customers are are likely to come from uh, uh, some high energy users who've got twenty four seven power demands, but also um, have the sort of an industrial process. So, so these are these are businesses who are looking to manage their energy costs by buying it when it's cheap and then. Um, uh, not buying so much when energy prices rise and using what they've stored at, at, at that point of time. So th this might be mines or quarries or um, other sort of energy intensive industries. Um, so the things that's good about mines is they obviously have the elevation or the off and quarries, they have the elevation available to us. And so it's, um, yeah, and it's a brownfield site. So those are uh, fairly obvious bridgehead markets that we're, we're, we'd be addressing in terms of a customer type. Um, the, the other early adopters might be co-location with renewables where they're looking to build a new wind project, say, and, and wish to um, maximise the value of their energy generated by storing it if energy prices are low um, until energy prices rise. So those are the sort of customer types we see as an early adopter. In terms of territory, that that, that is a more difficult 
question in many ways because energy markets across the world are transitioning as we speak. Um, so a country like Australia is very interesting because they have phenomenal renewable energy resources, but they also have a power grid that already has its challenges. Um, you know, a couple of years back, there was the um, big Tesla battery project to stabilise part of their power grid, which you know has been very successful. But that's only a small part of what a market like Australia needs to really balance um, uh, their, 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 their energy market. Um, and then um, parts of the US are already um, fairly hot markets um, for energy storage. California, New York, Texas um, are all likely to be very good markets. Well, some of them are already markets, but growing markets because they, they have a need for the storage as their renewable penetration increases and they already have problems on their power grids. Um, and then countries like Mexico or Turkey or even Saudi Arabia, topographically, so from their geography point of view, they have so many suitable sites for us um, that, that, that uh, if you're looking for countries which have loads and loads of opportunities, almost endless as far as we're concerned, then, then those sorts of countries are, are, are very good for us. Um, uh, and then as we talked about a little bit earlier, there's obviously the whole of Central Europe, um, which could be a, a very attractive market for us. So, so we don't really think that there's a shortage of attractive markets. Um, the, 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 the key to this is um, as uh, governments put in place their market mechanisms to um, sometimes re remove barriers for energy storage or sometimes incentivize it or even just to put out the appropriate um, bid calls, um, that, that then, then we need to keep an eye on that and we need to have the relationships in multiple markets through people on the ground, um, project developers um, who, who already have existing relationships who can identify where the hottest markets are and, and, and we can address those um, as, and, as and when. Um, so we, we see our challenges actually, um, the, the, the ability to move fast enough to a the growing opportunities and, and these opportunities are appearing across the world and will actually accelerate the number of opportunities across the world we believe will accelerate um, and so that is our challenges and which is you know the primary reason for raising money is so that we can um, accelerate our plans um, develop the relationships we need to and uh, speed up on the on the technology side and uh, proving real world demonstration projects fantastic thank you and one of the things that i take away from what you've just outlined there Stephen, is of course you, you know you're looking at your first project here in the uk but you know the, the market as we've actually said you know a trillion dollar market there but the, the opportunities for yourself and and re-energize is a global one and that's you know particularly um, strong for growth prospects as you as you move forward uh, in your development cycle. So um, thank you very much for that, Stephen. So, you know, for people that want to know a little bit more uh, about Re-Energize, Stephen, now, you know, we're obviously going to put some notes to this podcast. We'll give a little bit more in the way of details and some links in. But you know, where should people go? And if they want to find out in particular about, uh, you know, the CrowdCube campaign, of course, that's on, on CrowdCube. But is there anything else that you can point uh, people towards 
to have a little bit more in the way of research about Reenergize? Yeah, absolutely. So um, reenergize.com is our website. Um, Reenergize is R-H-E, then Energize. Um, and the R-H-E stands for Rheology, which is where that comes from. Um, so uh, hence the development of high-density fluids, the Rheology. So reenergize.com. Um, obviously the CrowdCube page. Um, and then look out for us at um, conferences, energy events, um, we're talking at a local government event uh, next week, uh, middle of next week. So, 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 so we're going to be increasingly active. Um, we were in the New Yorker um, uh, or uh, online edition at the moment, and print edition next week. And so, you know, hopefully, we'll become increasingly visible um, to your audience um, in multiple outlets. Um, and uh, you know, keep an eye on us. Sign up to our newsletters. Thank you very much. So. That was Stephen Crocher, uh, the CEO of Re-Energize. Stephen, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Yes, indeed. So as I was mentioning there, do check out the notes to this podcast. Uh, they'll be linked through to the Crowdcube site as well as uh, the Re-Energize website. So do follow those and have a little bit more of a look around. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.